Welcome to the Business of Property Development podcast. I'm your host, Shane Hiscock, and by way of background, this podcast is all about connecting you with professional property developers and consultants and professionals associated with property development so you can hear about their journeys, how they started, where they're headed to, and to dig in a little bit more and find out about their beliefs and mindset around property development and around success. Why we cover these things is that I believe success leaves clues and you can be inspired by someone or even pick up one or two insights that you take action on. It'll make all the difference and your time will be well spent. Another purpose of the podcast is to provide you with exposure to some great companies, developers and property professionals that you may have never heard of. So our first interview is with Matthew Bond. Matt's company is CityMax Developments, and they're quietly chipping away and achieving great results in the property space. I've known Matt for a number of years, but I won't ruin the interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Okay, so I'm uh, with Matt Bond from CityMax. Uh, how are you going, Matt? Good, Shane. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. You're all right, mate. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, um, so you know, obviously you and I met five, six years ago, I think it was now, but um, everyone else will be, uh, be new to who you are. So I just wanted to hand it over to you and get a bit of background if I could, please, Matt. Tell sure. us a bit about yourself. Um, look, I'm, I'm a property developer. Uh, our business has been going for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, we started off with just a small five pack of townhouses and we've grown to, uh, I think our largest is 30 townhouses, it is, yeah, the large one's 30. Um, and we do a number of childcare centers now as well. Um, I think our, yeah, our largest projects worth oh, 15 mil, which is good. Great. It's a good size. We've, we've, we've ridden the wave of residential and we're, we're now about to ride the wave of commercial. So things have been good. And um, really enjoyed my job. Absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, great. And tell me more about the comments there about, you know, you've ridden the wave of residential now onto commercial. Like, you know, what's the, I guess when you started, were things different to they are now? What had you make a move across from, from residential to commercial? Okay, when, when I started, it was a very quiet time in the market when I met you. Um, mm. Sales were tough. Sites were cheap. The market moved, um, obviously, People could see opportunity in buying the end product. Uh, there were good returns in terms of rentals and capital growth. Yep. And so we expanded heavily in the apartment market, our largest project being only 16 apartments, but um, we decided to pull up stumps at the right time there and uh, move into the townhouse market. Now, as res- residential slows and, and buyers become more particular, they, they look for more townhouses, house and land over apartments. We made a strategic decision to move into childcare and commercial because people still want to get a good return and there was an opportunity there for childcare was undersupplied mm, um, and so the tenants needed to expand and a lot of these national, national tenants started approaching us. We started picking up sites. Um, we learned a few hard lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. We found that the, the sites in the outer-lying areas are actually quite hard to, to stack up from a feasibility perspective Okay. and the ability for other centres to be approved in your catchment um, 
can really scare off your tenant. So now we're just focusing for in a in a city and by inner city, I mean anything from 12k's into the CBD. Yeah. And we've been quite particular in what we take on. Um, commercial being a totally different game to residential, mm. your competitors will try and stop your development applications, which has also been a learning curve in itself. That's interesting. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, mate, it's, it's funny. Um, because, the, and I've, I've learned a lot in the last 18 months because I came from a residential background working for residential developers. And I, I teamed up with a guy I actually went to uni with who took the commercial development path. So he knew childcare inside out. Right. What happens is you'll, you'll have a, a catchment, right? And we usually work off ABS stats, how many children in the catchment. Okay, the, yeah. catch, mm-hmm. the catchment only needs so many places in childcare centres to, to cope. Yeah, right, got it. Yep. So all the existing centres, when you when you launch for, you know, lodge an application for new development, um, it's going to upset the original catchment, right, because you're going to be impacting on their business. Yes. So they'll look to appeal on any basis they can your development application. So it's a tricky game. It's a, it's a lot of upfront work in commercial, I've learned. The back end's not as tedious whereas residential it's the other way around you know you get you got to deal with a lot more people uh in terms of your buyers whereas you've only really got one buyer in commercial to go obviously on a one-off you know center yeah very purpose-built yeah 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 so it's been it's been a great learning curve We've, we've done well we we got in early and we're probably slowing up now only because we think the market's too hot in childcare. Yep. Um, so, funnily enough, I don't think I know what I'm going to be doing in 2019, but good problem to have, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. So, do you start looking now? Is like, what's your sort of process for looking at the next, you know, where's the next wave, I guess, for you guys? Yeah, you? well, that's, that's, that's anyone's guess at the moment. There's a lot of chat about aged care and medical, but yeah, you know, that's also a tough, tough gig and I don't know enough about it, so... Look, we're just going to focus the projects we have on the go at the moment, our tenors in childcare, finish them off next year, and um, if something pops up, great. But if not, you know, we're not going to not going to chase it too hard. That's something I've been proud of myself in pulling up at the right time on the apartments, you know, because you don't want to be stuck with something that doesn't work. Yeah, you seem to. Um, I have to say, you've been able, you've read the market well by the looks of things, just from a from an outsider looking in. Um, and I'm interested to watch the path because I guess. I've always um, considered or, or sort of had this uh, question going, well, some, some developers will go, we just do a certain type of thing and we'll just stay in these areas and we'll just focus mm-hmm. on that and we'll be really niched in that. Others, um, you know, sort of more like yourself, is looking at, well, what's the next, um, you know, wave of, of uh, opportunity that's coming around and it seems like you've kind of got to reskill as you go do that and you know, yeah. bring your knowledge back up. What, what, what are your – have you ever sort of considered those two things? Did you consider like – no, we'll just stay in townhouses and we'll just be really niched, but we maybe move to a different city or something. Or What are, yeah. your, what are your thoughts yeah. on all well, that? It's funny, it's funny you should bring that up because we, my business partner is very friendly with a land developer called David Trask who's on the north side of Brisbane. Yes, I know. Uh, David, yeah. yeah. David's been going since he's 18 years old. He's yeah. all in the king of the north. Yeah. He controls, he knows every block of land and he knows everything about land subdivision he has not swayed from it and i've never met someone who knows their their skill set better than him he knows engineering he knows finance he knows sales he knows 
you know, he's 10 steps ahead of any other developer who tries to buy in the, in the north side catchment. So, mm. hey, it's a good track to t- take if you're prepared to weather the storm and the slowdowns and you're clever. Um, but then, hey, if you move with the markets, it's another strategy to take as well. So both so can work. Just think horses for courses, Matt, yeah. you know, what works for – do you think sometimes with those businesses that might uh, – just consider to stay in the same type of market. Maybe there's some other supplementary incomes they might be able to take advantage of, or that they have in their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always think cash flow is a killer, right? And yeah. if you're if you're a residential, even a commercial developer, in some respects, and you don't have something servicing debt in the market turns, and you can't sell your end product, you want to have that cash flow to carry. Otherwise. The show's over pretty quickly, right? Got to have it coming from somewhere, right? Yeah. 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 So, Matt, um, I just want to roll back a little bit more now. So what did you – I mean, you've got a few degrees, I think, in the property space, or I know that you do, but I'll yes. just let you explain a little bit about that. Tell me how that all – like, when did the passion start for property? What led you to go and study it in the first place? Uh, so it all sort of started – my parents are in the health um, – have a health background, but mm-hmm. they've always had small – sort of commercial, residential plays in property. Um, leaving school, I suppose property, I left school in 2002 when the market was hot and everyone wanted to be in real estate. Mm-hmm. I did a, degree, a bachelor's degree in applied finance, um, sorry, not applied finance, applied science, science uh, property economics at QUT. Okay, yep, yep. Um, timing was great because when I left uni, I picked up an acquisitions role with the national developer, okay. which is unheard of. You know, usually acquisitions roles are um, reserved for guys that are 50, 60 years old that have been in the game a long time, but market was hot and it was, I was in a, um, from studied applied finance and um, from there I've only recently finished my master's in urban regional planning, uh, which has been great. Understanding town planning. Uh, I figure you can always keep learning. I'm always doing a course or something. I'm just about to embark on my um, builder's ticket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you can always, you know, knowledge is power, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so on your acquisitions role, what are, you, what are, um, what are some of the key things you learned in that role? Oh, look, I learned, I learned a lot of different things. I think I was... I was a bit green coming straight out of university. A bit, so it was, it was tough to understand the relevance of most things. But the greatest thing, um, Warwick Hemsley, who was the managing director of Pete at the time, he summed it up so well. He said, the money's made when you buy, not when you sell. Yep. Mm. So if you buy well, you're always going to do well, right? Yeah, totally. And the underlying land value or the intrinsic value is, is so important. Um in terms of acquisitions, and to to buy well will carry you through long term when the market turns down as well. Especially with what, what I learned in my acquisitions role, there is we were in a hot market. We we're a public listed company, mm-hmm. and we started putting escalations in feasibilities, like everyone else in the market was. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so is that you kind of mean it's a good you're warning of, sign. Oh, James. we can sell them for this much now, but we think in. By the time we're finished, they should be worth a little more. So you're putting a little so bit of a extra on the yeah. top. Yeah, okay. And how did that turn out? Badly. The GFC yeah. came in 2008. It didn't really rock the property market until 
2010. Mm. But, um, yeah, all those projects, a lot of them struggled severely because they just wouldn't hit the, the prices that were predicted in the original feasibility. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, something to be uh, wary of, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so that early development that you spoke of that you, you did was a five-pack of townhouses. Um, mm. Tell me about that one. Like, was that, you know, with your acquisition skills, did you go door knocking, send letters, buy it through agents? How would, how'd you approach that one? Um, that was a good one. It, it, it had me obviously nervous being the first of its kind for me. I'd done a few spec homes. Okay. But... Um, my business partner is a builder. He's a bit senior to me and he's probably one of the biggest builders in Queensland now. Mm. But at the time, he sort of said to me, let's do a development. I said, yeah, great. Let's, I'll buy the block of land. You build it. We'll split the profits. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We actually bought it off um, an agent. Yep. And it was it was really well priced. It was opposite um, a bit of a businessy park at, at Northgate, but the block was flat. The yep. price was right. And we built them... A good, good price, and they sold relatively quickly, which was great. You know, they they didn't run out the doors like they have in recent years, but um, it was a good little project. We ended up doing one two doors down. Um, great. Just the just the neighbours saw what was going on, or you just you know? no. That I think the um, another agent. This is the one two doors down. The market was so slow that I was able to option that up because I didn't have the the money out of the first project. Yep. So that the right. the power of good terms, <laughs> you know, I optioned it up for ten grand, got an approval. Um, didn't settle until I settled the townhouses in the first one to use the money to do the second one. Um, and it's funny, you know, that cash flow is tough when you're doing your first couple of projects, and obviously gets easier when you get more on the go, but. Um, yeah, the terms really helped in allowing us to, to keep going. Yeah, that's great. And so how, if um, if I can ask then, you know, when you're doing that first project and, you know, five-pack of townhouses and take, you know, a year and a half, two years sometimes to kind of get mm. those things from from settlement to settlement kind of thing, maybe sometimes longer even uh, of experience. Yeah. But um, how did you keep your cash? Like what did you do for cash flow in the meantime? Did you? I was um, still working during that. Um, I started a job. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, you had a job that you were working in and then you could sort of manage this um, on, the side. on the side. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no way I wouldn't have been able to. I'd be on baked beans, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I've had a job for the first few projects um, until I, we had two or three on the go. Then I had the ability to step out and just uh, live off the projects, which is great. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're quite right. It's it's very hard cash flow wise. And I remember finishing that first five pack and going, this has been 18 months or yeah, as you said, it's been 18 months, two years of my life. I said, how am I ever going to expand? <laughs> you know, I'm going to get, you know, it's too slow, too slow process. But then obviously you can replicate when you have a bit more money and have a few products on the go. And and in hindsight, a little five pack's relatively quick to some of the projects we do now. You know. Mm-hmm. The, Two years, two and a half years um, from start to finish. Yeah, that's great. And so you're still with your business partner, aren't you? You guys are still yeah. working together in the business. How did that relationship start, by the way? Like, how did you, how did you guys meet? How did you get to know each other? What made you decide? Yeah, I was I was building a house out on the north side. Um, one of the guys in my office said, "Oh, I'm building with Troy Barnes from Sun Vista Homes," and at the time, I think Troy was doing. 
10 homes a year, 15 homes a year. Um, yeah, right. So I built a house for me and I sold it and did a couple of other houses. And, um, you know, he, was, he always had a good eye for um, keeping costs down. Um, you know, there wouldn't be a – he's not the kind of builder where you'd see leftover screws on site, which is absolutely so important when you're when you managing costs in a development, you know. Yeah, yep. Um, and the ability to think differently too is one thing I've always appreciated about Troy. Um, we came together and, you know, as his business grew, so did CityMax. Um, and, yeah, it's been a great partnership. I think we're, what are we now, 2017, it's been seven years officially now. So it's been a good good ride. That's fantastic. Been... Yeah, and I think Sun Vista does a lot more homes than that now, I think. Is that right? They're, they do. They're... I think they're just 400 a year. Wow. Which is the top 10, I think, HIA builder. That's massive growth in itself, isn't it, from, say, 10 a year, seven years ago to, to 400? Oh, mate, if I had my time again, sometimes I wish I was a builder. I don't know if I could put up with the stress of it all. Um, yeah. But, geez, your ability to replicate and scale is phenomenal. Yeah, that's insane. That's fantastic. <laughs> and so, you know, progressing through your projects, can you think of some times that were, you know, particularly hard you know, you had some, some big challenges come up and then, yeah, how, mm. how did you face those and, you know, what have been some of the, if you're open to share, you know, the darker times. That, uh, oh, mate, yeah. that's, what, that's the first thing I always ask mentors. Yeah, yeah. And you can do well and make money when the market's going well. But that's it. <laughs> you, need, you need to learn from people about the tough times because, or when things go wrong, like you said. Um, yeah. Things that kill me like, are things like cash flow. Yeah. Um, you know, because... Unfortunately, our, our council, regardless of which council it is, is usually pretty hopeless and take their time doing things. And, you know, you'll be delayed in getting planned sealing or an approval, um, which just stretches you a bit further than you expect. Um, and, you know, bills don't stop. They just keep coming in. Mm. So cash flow is always a killer in timing. Yep. Um, tax is a killer. I absolutely deplore tax. Land tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one that comes to mind. Prepaying your tax also sucks. Like, yeah. So tax, tax is the killer. Um, and then just on site, you know, things have gone wrong for us and we've either had to throw money at it to fix it or had to think differently to fix it. And it's always a time delay regardless of which way you decide to go. Um, so, yeah, just construction can always go wrong too and it's, it's not necessarily anyone's fault, but usually someone has missed something or something's been interpreted the wrong way. And it, I don't think we've had a project yet where something even small hasn't gone wrong, right? There's always something going wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. your ability to cope with it, right? Yeah. it's. Um, I'd agree. I've, I used to say to people that, um, and I'll, I'll probably question for you as well, is you know, something always I've found always goes wrong that you just could never pre have pre-thought about, like that you no. No matter how much you tried or you, you sort of thought you covered every base, something left field tends to happen. Um, yeah. Have you found that as well? Yeah, absolutely. You can yeah. try and do all your checks and balances. I think, again, it comes back to if you've bought well and there's good margins in it, you know, you should be right. Like if you've got a contingency there or you've bought well and you've got margins, like, you, you know, you might go in at a 18 20% margin mm -hmm. and that might weather down. But if you went in at a 10% margin, You've got, you know, one, two things goes wrong. Next thing you know, you're building for free, if not for a loss. Yeah. So you need to always keep your margins up. That's something one of my mentors always reminds me. 
And is that where you aim? Like, where do you aim for minimum sort of viable margin when you look at a project? Uh, mate, as a rule of thumb, 20 is good. Yeah. For low 20s if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never pushed our end sales prices. Um, that's just been a policy. If we've bought well, we like to pass it on to our buyers. Um, I know it's not a, I've been told before that's not the typical, typical developer ethos, but, uh, you know, you've got to leave something in it for the next bloke and it makes the world go around in my opinion. So if we bought well, we'll sell um, under the market like we are currently at Everton Hills. Um, we're priced 20 or 20 to 30 grand under the rest of the market and we're doing that because, A, we want them to sell quick and move on to the next project but also we want happy customers because they might buy off us again. Yeah, that's a, that's a great philosophy. I mean, um, I imagine that would have your product in any marketplace be, you know, very popular in, the, in that segment. You know? It does, it does. People go different routes. Some people would prefer to spend even more on their fixtures and fittings and, and specifications to add true, like big value to uh, their project. You know, that's how they give back to their buyers. But I sometimes think price is the best determinant, right? Yeah, great. It's interesting to get that understanding of how you you think about these things and your philosophies on it. So that's a general thing with your projects, is it? Try and bring it in under the market value. Yeah, yeah, we've targeted that in the past. We've always tried to price um, just slightly under, if we can afford to, obviously, to make the make the feasibility stack. And that, again, you know, it's people who put escalations into their feasibilities in the hot market that somehow get caught out if they, if they keep doing it, you know, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, so what are, um, yeah, with some of your current projects, how are they all running anyway? Like the childcare ones, what have, what have been your experiences around moving, you know, from residential into another totally different sort of, sector and yeah how's that been for you it's good um we've got a really great one comes from we've got a really great childcare center under construction at windsor where we converted a heritage house like a federation style colonial oh great yeah beautiful old house um there was an arbitrage play there with the planning um it was zoned for um commercial but it had a, a heritage house on it so most people discarded it my business partner, Ben, who has the commercial experience, mm-hmm. he could convert it um, to childcare right. and um, de-risked the heritage aspect during due diligence with Brisbane City Council and we had a code accessible childcare centre site smack bang in the middle of uh, Windsor. Um, yeah, very, very healthy fe- uh, feasibility on that one. So. Some of those have been great little wins. Um, we've also burnt a bit of money on a childcare centre site we had under option at Dacobin. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a childcare centre got approved right next door because oh, of an incompetent council. <laughs> they gave us our approvals on the same day, which scared off any possible tenant. Yeah, I can imagine. I think we, we burnt... You know, a lot of money. I don't want to say how much, but hey, we've had wins on other things, so you can't win them all. That was just an unfortunate circumstance, and and um, you know, a hopeless council assessment team, unfortunately. Yeah, that's one of those things you don't know, you don't know happening, kind of right oh, as you yes. know, isn't it? And, you know, we we lodged our application six months before 
the neighbour, mm-hmm. or just theirs. They, um, they dragged their heels on ours and then by the end of it said, oh, we're going to assess them at the same time. You know, we should have been first to market. We were six months ahead. But, again, uh, as you know, the councils are hopeless. So they basically held up your application because they decided they wanted to look at the, both of them at, at the same time. That, I think it got that right? to that point. They didn't decide that, but it just got to that point. And then they ended up making a decision on the same day. Right, got it. Okay. What's scary is we got a two-page request for information. The assessment manager didn't issue a request for information for the neighbour. And I think that's just because of he'd missed it, you know. Interesting. Oh, made swings and roundabouts. You know, you can't win with any Yeah, that's it. I think that's a really... Um, Good thing to point out, though, because often, you know, I think from the outside looking in, sometimes people looking at developers thinking they make millions off every project. No. It's, um, I guess, my experience, I don't know about yours, it's almost like a uh, season of, of football where you're playing for the championship for sure, but you might win some games and you're going to lose some games and some you might draw on. How do you find it? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Shane. I just think that... There's so many risks at play there, and like my partners and I always joke, "Oh, nothing's gone wrong this year, week yet." <laughs> you know, this week um, something's going to go wrong, and and that's why you take on that risk, and that's why if you buy well and you keep your margins up, you know, you should be able to weather the majority of the storms. Like the the beauty of that that one that at, at Dakarbin I mentioned was we had it under option. Imagine if we owned it and sold it. Yeah. Trouble, and that's the difference again. Coming back to your question mm. between childcare and residential, residential, you know, you don't have those those issues. Yep. Not not like not like commercial where you've got competitors in the market. Yeah, you can have the same sort of business turn up, but yeah, you, I guess you can have another set of townhouses uh, get built down the road. Um, but it's um, you, you've got a bigger market to sell those to, and a lot more people in, in the marketplace that will still buy those. You're still in yeah. demand, you know. And hey, it might be a good thing if you've got more apartments next to your tenants next yeah. to you. You know, it's creating a bit of a community. Yeah, might smarten the street up overall. Yeah. Absolutely, it's rejuvenation of some areas. Yeah, that's it. Hey, I've got a friend that uh, often refers to property development as modern day warfare, and um, <laughs> I can so relate to it. Another one of my friends says it's um, it's like champagne and razor blades. You know, one day it's um, yoo-hoo, champagne, crack the glasses out. The next day, you know, it's like razor blades. So, so tough. Um, it is a bit of a, a tough industry, right? What what do you think it takes to be successful from a you know a mindset and a in a personal kind of um, I guess personal skills and traits to be successful in property development? Mm-hmm. Um. The mind, so you said you, the, the mindset that you need to have to be able to, yeah, part those ups and downs is what you're saying. Yeah, and just to, to, to take this kind of thing on. Yeah. Oh well, I, another thing that um, a lady once said to me, I'm so true. The one quality that all leaders around the world share is optimism. Optimism. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. I like a lot of sayings, but that one's great because. You've got to be optimistic, and, and yeah, things go wrong. But if you if you're the kind of person that gets built up and upset very easily, or, or stresses out over things, then property development's definitely not for you because something will go wrong, and it's pretty much every day. Yeah. And it's funny sometimes you finish the the race on a project and you get settlement, 
And it just doesn't feel as good as you expected it to feel because <laughs> you're just so mentally drained from all the shit that went wrong. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. All the stuff that's gone wrong along the way, you know. So. Yeah, great. So optimism's one. What else? Um, you need yeah, you need to be optimistic. You need to be forward thinking. Yeah, right. Yep. And and it's always better to be proactive than reactive, obviously. Mm. You know, if it, and, and as much as you can have a good consultant team. You need to drive them. Um, if, if consultants are left to their own, um, to themselves, they won't. They won't do. They'll do their job generally, but they won't do it as quick as you'd like them to do it. So you, you need to be pushing them at all times. You need to be that development manager or project manager that's pushing them to get the result you're looking for. Yeah, right. And so, what does that look like for you when you're in a project? Is it Weekly meetings? Is it calling them, you know, consistently? What does it look like? Uh, it's it's we don't we don't do weekly me oh we do weekly meetings construction wise. Yep. But we don't do weekly meetings, especially in the approval stage or with consultants throughout the project. It's usually just emails. Um, yep. We have engaged in recent times um, because our business has grown large enough to warrant it. We've, we've engaged project management companies. Yep. We just hand them the development approval, and they'll they'll run the um, building approval, um, and then obviously handle construction throughout, especially in the superintendent space. But um, they'll they'll definitely drive their consultants and hold meetings. But me personally, I find that emails are sufficient and phone calls. Just following up constantly and just yeah, where are things at? How are we going? Absolutely, squeaky yeah. wheel kind of thing. Yeah, mate, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Even even on the council front, I've found that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I remember when I, when I was a bit younger, I'd do things like go and if I really need, I remember I needed something from Queensland Urban Utilities, and I forget what it was, but I drove down to Roma Street and I walked into the office and asked for the engineer by name, and he was actually really lovely, um, and printed me off and signed whatever he needed to. And another instance, I needed a fire inspection. Mm-hmm. Because it's holding up plan ceiling and when I was holding up practical completion on our churn side units and I ended up driving down to the Fortitude Valley firefighters, <laughs> met the head guy there, told him I'm desperate and he was lovely. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll put you to the top of the queue. I'll get you an inspection on Monday or Tuesday. And yeah. Yeah, sometimes the squeaky wheel really does need to be squeaky. So, yeah. Well, I get from that as well. I mean, I've, um, and, you know, experienced where you're trying to, you run some projects sometimes and you don't have that direct contact or that personal relationship with someone and it's easy for them to keep you at the bottom of the pile, for example. Always. You, know, you might just be another email or another phone call that they ha have no connection with. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see what you've done there is you've gone down, you make that personal connection and you've been able to make things happen. Oh, absolutely. I think it was the second set of townhouses I went down and met the guy Gave him, I think, gave him. A, this is an Energex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> gave him a carton of beer, and you know he was really appreciative and helped me out. Had that connection with him, you know. It's a, it's a, you know, small price to pay, isn't it, for that? Oh, that, isn't it, Justin? Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. What's everything, man? People, people can't be too tough to your face, you know. Yeah. And they're normally hiding behind a keyboard or a phone, but face to face, generally, people are pretty nice. Yeah, I think that's generally people generally want to help each other in as, a, mm. as an underlying sort of human nature thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, now 
I've noticed recently, Matt, you've been on a few pretty cool holidays. Yeah. So, <laughs> what's happened? The projects are just running along and you're able to take a bit more time off. You know, it's a great, you know, this part of property, the lifestyle you can create, right? It is, it is. And um, the ability to work from email these days and phone calls, we, we've got a great team here, but the, the, the brilliance of being a property developer is you've got consultants, but you don't need a lot of employees. Like if we've got a much bigger and we had full-time employees, you know, it might, might be a bit different. But, um, yeah, travel is probably my biggest passion and the ability to go overseas um, and still keep the business going from my laptop or phone, um, yeah. it's been fantastic and that's something I don't want to stop. Obviously, it might need to get scaled back as the market quietens, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to miss out on my travel, that's for sure. Something you value highly by the sounds of it. Mm, absolutely, experience. I think uh, I went to the lunch with a, an older guy. It's, when I say older, I'm 30 and he's 51, and he, he said some really wise words to me. He said, Matt, you'll never be the richest. He said, work hard, but life's about experiences. Oh, and he wow. was off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and he's quite successful himself, I should have mentioned. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Just on that front, do you have a mentor that you kind of meet with and learn from, or a group? You know, maybe if more than one, or how do yeah. you how do you keep yourself sort of personally growing and accountable? Um, I used to a lot in recent times, not so much. Um, one of my mates' dads is a large developer, a guy named Mal Hall Brown. He has a company called Port Binley that's developing North Harbour. On the north side. Yeah, right. Yes, he's done a lot. And I used to. I still ring him, you know, probably once a month, once every two months, and ask for his advice. But in terms of learning and understanding, geez, my, my business partner in the commercial must get sick of me asking questions because he's done it for <laughs> he's done it for ten years, right? And this is all still fairly new to me, and, and there's so many twists and turns. So that's probably the person that's I've been been looking up to in, in some some ways um, in recent times. You could call him a mentor, but he's also a business partner and we bounce off each other. We've both got different skill sets. Um, but, yeah, that, that's what comes to mind when, when you ask that question. Yeah, you've got you've got him there. And do you are you the kind of person that asks – you ask lots of questions by the sounds of it? Oh, always. Yeah. I'm asking questions. I, had, um, I shared with someone the other day uh, about when I first started in property, I used to think I had to uh, appear like I actually knew what I was talking about, but uh, I didn't. So, mm -hmm. you know, I used to think when I'd call, you know, consultants or agents or different people that I'd have to pretend like I understood all the lingo and I knew what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I said, oh, I can still remember the time when I realized that that was actually a, a real limiting uh, belief to have in place because what it meant was I, I wasn't open to learning anything. And I, I started to learn this because I was, and the reason I asked you about a mentor is there was a, an architect I started to learn a fair bit from and I wish we were going to do a business partnership together, but really smart guy. But I noticed when we go to meetings, he would ask some of the most, like what I thought at the time, dumbest questions. Yeah. And I'd be like, I'm sure he knows this stuff. Why isn't he? And I learned from him just by osmosis that he, he would come out of that meeting and know everything. Like, yes. you know, every nook and cranny had been explored and he and he was just like, he would just be like, you know, I, I don't know the answer to anything. What can you tell me? And 
um, yeah, I really learned that from him and, and took that up. So it's good. Uh, I, I can hear that in what you were sharing as well. Oh, absolutely. And I just, the biggest thing though is from the questions you ask, you need to be able to act upon them. This, I get plenty of people asking me, how do you do this? What do you do this? And I'm, to be honest, I sort of get a bit sick of it over the years because people don't do anything with it, you know, like mm. the information's available. People are prepared to help you, but you've got to take action as well. Yeah. Like nothing happens, right, till you take some action. Agreed. And, and the, the, the worry of the unknown scares a lot of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what are your um, – how do you treat, say, fear? You know, you, you're stepping into something new and, you know, it's sort of a bit daunting. Uh, you Maybe maybe when you stepped across into different commercial projects, how do you uh, approach those kind of things? Oh, you can always get – there's always an element of risk and there's always that – sense of doubt in your mind, but um, it, you ask the right questions and, and bounce off people that know, find specialists in that field and ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, and and try and team up with people that do know what they're talking about and, and understand what's going on. And that's usually the key to making it work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You seem to be good at partnerships, Matt, like finding, you know. Say that again. You seem to be... Um, at really good at being able to work in those kind of partnerships, you know. First, you met, met with Troy, obviously, and obviously you have a lot of skill as well in being able to guide and pull all these things together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, someone said it to me, one of my mates said it to me dinner a few weeks back, he goes, mate, you knew nothing about childcare, but you, you teamed up with a specialist and it's worked out perfectly. And I said, yeah, I know, you didn't just, you're working with people that have complementary skill sets and that's yeah. the key, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Mate, you've um, really shared some a lot of great insights from the interview, so thank you for that. Um, You're right. How do, how do people find out a bit more about you or if they want to get in contact with you? Is that something they can do or they want to learn about CityMax? What's the best way? Yeah, just jump on our website. Yep, what's that? Citimax.com.au, C-I-T-I-M-A-X. Um, and, yeah, you're more than welcome to check out our projects and, and hear all about us. Awesome. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for having me. No worries, mate. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye.